Wow, look at that, a cheap Ferrari. How bad can it be? Welcome to the Ferrari Hub Podcast, where we will be talking Ferraris. And now your host, Andy Rasul. Welcome to episode 12 of the Ferrari Hub Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rasul, and we are going to be talking Ferraris. Well, today's interview is with an F40 LM owner. He is somebody who we've had on before where we've spoken about some of his other cars. But uh, we wanted to get him back on because he went through a restoration of the F40 that he purchased and it took four years to do that. So he's just going to be talking us through that whole experience of buying it, restoring it and what is the result, uh, which is an extremely beautiful car. Um, we have images in our show notes so to see those show notes just go to ferrarihub.com forward slash ep12 this is a slightly longer episode than we normally do as you know we try and keep it to 45 minutes to an hour but there was just so much great content that tim was sharing with us that we just we edited what we could but really we didn't really want to lose any of the great stuff that he's bringing forward so uh we've left a lot of that in there so it does run for longer than an hour we apologize for that let us know if it if it is too long and maybe in the future we'll try and edit out more Uh, but if you like the content just let us know you can drop us an email we surveyed a number of the listeners and the subscribers on um, the website and we asked what can we add to the sites that you know would you know be something that you would be looking for and the number one thing that came back was to add a classified section somewhere which was just Ferrari only cars that were available you know so that um, people who were in the market for buying a car were able to then find the best cars available and with that we decided to launch uh, a new section which went live just before the new year called buy um, it's been added onto the um, the menu at the top of the um, the web page itself a direct link to the cars that are available is www.ferrarihub.com forward slash listings and at the moment we have 284 ferraris available for sale um, which is um, quite a remarkable uh, number of cars there's lots of different cars from uh, everything from a california t right up to the la ferrari and everything in between so if you're looking for some of the best cars available um, do check us out uh, we're going to be updating that on a daily basis so there'll all be always be new stock added we currently have stock available within the uk but we are in the next few weeks or so looking to expand that to the us europe and the rest of the world so regardless of where you're based where you're listening to, um, to this podcast from you'll be able to go to our site and find the best ferraris available and this week i'm pleased to say that we've had two new dealers join our listings so we have tom hartsley in the uk and dd classics who are based in london they have also joined uh, our listings as well so welcome on board guys I'm really pleased to say that we're back up to number one on the Apple iTunes charts. Um, we uh, we reached number one previously. We slipped to, I think it was three or four, but we're back up to number one. And we seem to be holding that position now. Uh, in fact, um, as of last week, we, w- we had three episodes in the top five and five episodes in the top 12. So we were really dominating the charts there. Uh, and this week alone, we've had a 40% increase in the number of downloads uh, for our podcast. So 
Really pleased to welcome the new listeners. Do give us suggestions. We're always looking for uh, uh, for suggestions from our listeners. If you haven't subscribed already, um, then please do so because it does actually help others find our uh, podcast. So you can do that by going to iTunes and finding us on there, Ferrari Hub, and just simply subscribe to us there. If you leave us a review, we'd really appreciate that too. Um, so far, we've got five-star reviews from all of our listeners who have left a, a review for us. Today's sponsor is something that I get asked about a lot, and that is who I use for my hosting. I recommend Bluehost, and the reason why I recommend them is because I use them myself. They're incredibly easy to set up. Uh, They have a one-click automatic WordPress installation, and it really is as simple as just one click. You can host multiple domains on them. There's no need to pay for any extras when you decide to increase the number of websites that you're hosting with them. They have outstanding customer service, and they're one of the companies that actually say, yeah, you can give us a call, which is kind of handy sometimes. Their performance is great. The speed and the uptime is seamless. It's, It's always up, it's always running. The control panel itself is very easy to use, and they have various hosting plans and pricing, depending on what your requirements are. If you want to know more, just simply go to ferrarihub.com forward slash Bluehost. If you choose to use our link, we will receive a commission, but it's at no cost to yourself. And it all helps to keep the podcast and sites running. Now on to the show. So in today's episode, we have Tim, who's been a previous guest on our show uh, in two episodes, in fact, where in his in the first episode, we discuss the ordering of his uh, f12 tdf and the specification the unique specification um, that was with that car and in the second part to that um, interview we had him talking about the collection and his um, his stay at casa ferrari which is enzo's um, house Um, but today we're going to be talking about another car that tim owns which is an f40 lm Um, it's a very special car and we'll have tim um, explain a little bit more about it so tim welcome to the show andy thank you very much and and clearly we must stop meeting like this (laughs) coming a a regular event now it is indeed but it's always fun so it's good to have you back um, so Tim, uh, wanted to talk to you about the F40 LM that you have because um, it, it, you know it's gone through quite a, a journey in terms of a restoration. Um, but why don't we start with you know how you came to, to to buy the car and you know why that car in particular? Um, it really started as a as a mistake, to be honest. Um, let me just give you a bit of history. I think I mentioned in the last episode that. Uh, back in the late 80s, I was um, lucky enough to get a uh, original mm. road car from, yeah, effectively direct from Enzo. Yes. Um, and it's one of those cars, even the standard road car, is one of those cars that leaves a pretty indelible impression in your mind, you know, as a great, great car. Mm. And you can never quite shake it. It's got a lot of negative things about it. As I said to you before, it's an exhausting car to drive and mm. all the other negatives. But it's just got something that tugs at you. And mm. it's always been in the back of my mind that maybe one day I'd have another F40. Mm. Um, and uh, I think I was looking through piston heads, um, just sort of uh, you know, in an idle moment, just seeing what was, you know, what was for sale and looking at all sorts of different cars. And mm. uh, It might have been because I was selling a, um, a car of mine at the time and I was looking for value and you know getting some sort of guideline it's always dangerous that isn't it to, it uh, is. to, it is. to flick through the classifieds yeah. for sure it's a bit it's a bit like you know um, a girl looking in a shop window you know full of handbags mm. you just 
you don't mean to buy, but then you go, oh, hello, what's that? Yeah, exactly. Which is exactly Scream, what happened. Out at you. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, well, that's a bit odd. Um, it's advertised as an F40 LM. And I thought, well, yes. Um, and I looked at the price, which seemed, to be honest, to be ridiculous and sort of ridiculously low. Oh, right. Um, and, uh, of course, what you tend to do is you tend to forget that it's ridiculously low mm. um, because it turns out at the end that there was actually probably the right price. Right. Um, anyway, so I got hold of the owner and it was stuck up in a garage up in Leeds mm. with a, um, a sort of a small scale restorer. Belonged to a nice chap. Um, who was just housing it there temporarily. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I got on the train, went up there, had a look, and, you know, it really was an F40, and it really was, um, you know, to LM spec. And uh, Just just explain the difference between the standard F40 and the, the F40 LM. Sure. The, um, the LM was the Le Mans version, mm-hmm. i.e. Uh, the car that was converted from a standard road-going car to mm-hmm. Le Mans specification by Michelotto. Okay, and uh, Michelotto is this sort of unofficial um, racing or GT racing mm. uh, side of Ferrari. Uh, even to this day, they're still with the four five eight GTEs and the four eight eight GTEs and uh, yeah. uh, the Challenge cars and everything. All this comes out of Michelotto, so they're an unofficial racing arm. Um, you know what Ferrari do in F one, Michelotto do for them in GT racing. Right, right, um, and. Uh, the LM was based on the original factory road car. In fact, I think I'm right in saying that the factory effectively spat out 19 road cars, which went to Michelotto. Right. And so no, th- these were ri- these were originally road cars that were then converted. Correct. Right. Okay. Seven. I think it was 17. Sorry, that went to uh, Padua to mm-hmm. the Michelotto factory, and there they were turned into LMs. And um, what that effectively meant was they were lightened even more than the standard car because you were able to get rid of air conditioning, you were able to get rid of that very you know, unplush interior, mm. um, you know, but it was all extra weight. You were able to get rid of the uh, retractable headlights. There was a certain amount of weight you could get rid of, mm. rid of out of the standard car. Right. Um, and they then set about a development program. Uh, and... It was um, amazingly, on the surface, it doesn't look like there's a huge difference between an LM and a, um, an F40, which is actually very nice because today when you look at a lot of uh, supposed GT cars, um, you know, and especially when you go to you know, tin top um, racing, there's, you know, what's underneath is very different from the road car. Mm. But this really is a road car. Um, and the biggest single difference uh, obviously, they, you know, the engine's all totally different, but the biggest single difference is the massive increase in front track. Right. And uh, I think I'm right in saying, for example, the standard rims on the um, normal road-going F40 are about eight and a half inches. Mm-hmm. And they, on the LM, they go up to 11 and a quarter. Wow, gosh. Um, so they are, you know, it's, it's a monstrous difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that, that, uh, and I had many late night conversations with Christiana Michelotto about it. Mm -hmm. It is that, that is the single 
defining difference in the way the car handles and the fact that it can then take the power. They did this massive increase in front track, mm. still, of course, with unassisted steering. Um, and you therefore get a much wider front clam mm. so as to accommodate that. Uh, and then aside from that, there were differences on obviously the rear wing mm -hmm. from an external point of view and lightweight windows and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then the engine was uh, modified um, and uh, I think it put out, there were various sort of iterations of the LM, but it put out anywhere from about 720 horsepower upwards. Gosh. Um and was it, it could have been 690 in the original and the early cars. Okay. But it was slowly developed over time mm. and it just got more and more powerful. And bear in mind, that's all from the standard, starting off with the standard block. Mm. So they really were pumping a lot of uh, power uh, out of that really you know, small block engine. Mm. Mm. Um, but aside from that, there were a, a, a lot of minute details which you only really learn about when you start to get into the bowels of a car like mm. this. Very small details, all of which make a difference. You know, whether it's the tiny little extra supports that are built into the steering rack so as to you know, handle an extra wide track, mm. um, the you know, adjustable you know, front-back bias on the brakes. And you, just, you can go on. There are a lot of differences and you see the standard car and you put the LM next to it, you can clearly see, obviously, they're very, very strongly related. Mm, yeah. Uh, and yet under the skin, at a quick glance, you think, well, it's not that different. But when you really get into the detail of it, it's very different. So you weren't actually looking for an LM at the time when you purchased yours, but you almost stumbled across this one. No, I wasn't looking for a car at all, Andy. Gosh, okay. I was just, I was just, I was just looking. You know, it was mm. a shop window, and mm. I was just looking through, and I saw F forty. I thought, well, LM, what's all that about? Um, anyway, so as I said, I went up to Leeds, had mm. a look, and it really was in bad condition. Um, they were prepared to start it, but because the smell of fuel was bad, because the uh, tanks hadn't been replaced, so it was you know, leaking like a sieve. Um, there was no way one could drive it, mm. but it seemed to run, you know, all right. And, um, you know, with my, I used to work in the garage some time ago, so I have some sort of mechanical knowledge. Mm. And it seemed to settle down to a quite nice idle and there was no particular issues. So I thought, well, yeah, I you know, there we are. It's a, an F40. Um, it's obviously not an original LM, mm. but it's clearly an LM spec. Mm. Um, and uh, it's a sensible price, ho ho. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you know, I'll take it. How, no, ba how bad can it be? Exactly. Yeah. Will I take it? Actually, yes. No. And I went back and forth, and I couldn't quite decide. And uh, then, of course, the inevitable happened insofar as I thought, well, I'll make a cheeky offer. So I made a cheeky offer. And the uh, vendor said, well, actually, I've got a Frenchman who wants to buy it. Um, and, uh, well, of course, the moment there is a second buyer, mm. you just think, oh, God, if someone else wants it, I've got to have it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the cheeky buy stopped. Um, you know, I paid him, you know, effectively what he was asking. Um, and we did the de deal. Uh, the Frenchman who wanted to rebuild the car and use it as a track car, um, thankfully, uh, you know, fell by what didn't fall by the wayside, but I transferred my deposit and right. we agreed that I'd buy the car. Yeah. So uh, the next stage from that was and, and where it, was I going to? Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, so, you know, at this stage now you've bought the car. It's not 
it's not roadworthy or trackworthy. So you, you, you're going to have to immediately start the, um, I, I, I guess not the restoration. I guess you didn't have a restoration in mind at that stage, but at least a, a sort of major uh, mechanical overhaul service, that sort of thing. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it was, uh, as far as I was concerned, looking at the car, clearly we had to change the uh, bag tanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to sort out the brakes. The brakes, we think, were off an old 962 uh, Porsche uh, right. when this car they converted. Um, and uh, there was a lot of, you know, inverted commas, tidying up to be done. The suspension mm. you know, looked like it could do with some work and uh, nothing that a really, you know, a very, very good overhaul couldn't resolve. Mm. Um, and then, okay, one would still have a rough car, but it would be, you know, a rough car which would be perfect for its life as a track car. Mm-hmm. so that was the idea uh, it was not as you say the word restoration hadn't crept into my mind at that stage mm. uh, anyway so we stuck it on a transporter and I decided to take it to my an old friend of mine at uh, Motor Technique mm-hmm. who you may know down in uh, near Hampton Court yes they're uh, actually based quite local to me in fact and uh, I, I actually saw your car in in there while they were working on it um, oh, you did many years ago yeah 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 i was um because i was following um the restoration thread of your car and i thought you know this place is not far from me you know i've never i, I never knew of the place beforehand but i thought i've got to go down and have a look and i went down and um they had your f40 then they had um a few other cars that they were restoring as well but it was, it was, it was great to see it actually yeah well they have i mean it's a, it's one of those sort of wonderful sort of eccentric mm. english traditions as you saw i mm. mean it's a sort of a rubbish old shed. Mm. Um, and you very unassuming door. from outside. I mean, you very know. unassuming. Yeah. You open the door and it inside. I mean, mm. last when I went down one stage during the restoration, you know, they had an original GTO in that, which they were wow. you know, rebuilding. Oh, yes, yes, um, they did actually. Yeah, you're right. You know, and, and it's just, it's nonstop whether there are, you know, 275s in there or 330s or mm. ESO Grifos or, um, in it, they have everything in that. And what they also have in there is a bunch of incredibly dedicated, hugely talented individuals mm. who have worked with Kevin O'Rourke, who runs the place, mm. for years. Mm. Um, and uh, they can turn their hand to anything. They are a very, very talented um, bunch. And as I said, you'd only find that in the UK. Mm. You know, if it was in America, you'd have this immaculate shop front. You'd have the perfect you know, reception with the you know, attractive blonde behind the desk and, mm. you know, and everything would be absolutely, you know, eat off the floor like a sort of singer factory for Porsche in the States. Yeah, yeah. This is the complete reverse. Mm. And yet, you know, the quality of um, original inventive work that comes out of that. Um, I mean, you can't entrust a GTO to, you know, a bunch of fools. Mm, um, yeah. And that really, is, that really says it all. So I suppose that was the mark. Anyway, he'd converted the correction. He'd restored uh, a um, Daytona Spider for me. Right, well, back in the, well, it must have been the late 80s uh, when he was in a different premises. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, he did very good work for me then. Uh, maybe he's the man for this job. So it was a good place to start. Mm. So the car went on a transport. I went down to him and I went down and saw him. I said, okay, Kevin, it's very simple. You know, we've got to sort this out. We've got to sort that out, you know, change the bags. Um, you know, we'll do something on the suspension, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, left it on that sort of simple brief. And so he then, quite rightly, started, you know, so as to get at the bags, 
um, you have to take the engine out anyway. Mm. So uh, it started with really, um, you know, a disassembly of what we have just to see, you know, how it is. Mm. Is it, you know, because it smelt like a death trap, um, but it was a running car mm. and it smelt like a death trap, obviously, because of the fuel. So we thought that would be an answer. So bit by bit, stuff began to come out. And um, uh, as stuff inevitably came out, you would find yourself slightly unpeeling an onion. Right. And there was sort of, you know, the first layer was, um, you know, we uncovered a lot of the electrics. Mm. And that just looked like a rat's nest. And I thought, oh. And, you know, Italian cars are not great from an electrics point of view. And you mm. can find all sorts of hurdles there. So that wasn't a good sign. Yeah. Um, and then we looked at the brakes and yeah, they had to be replaced and the suspension. Well, that was obviously shot. Mm. Uh, if, if the car was going to be used in anger, it would have done for poncing around, Mm. but if you actually wanted to drive the car, it was going to have to be done more properly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, whilst we had the engine out, we just thought it should give a sort of a superficial look to make sure that was all right. Mm. So we had a quick look in through the cylinder heads and, um, we saw that one of the uh, um, liners seemed to be slightly scored. Right. So one thought, oh, I weren't expecting that. Mm. So let's just take the heads off. Um, and, you know, it's not a you know, a huge job now. It's how we can take the heads off and, and you know, put new gaskets on and rebuild the top end. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you do that. And just the further you dig, the more is revealed. Yeah. And uh, inevitably, I mean, to cut a very long story short, we ended up with a very big box with a lot of very red parts in it. Gosh, yeah. And literally down to the chassis. The engine was reduced to every single component. Oh, wow. I mean, we got as far because every time we looked, there was a problem. Mm. You you get down to the crankshaft, you look at the uh, bearings, big end bearings, and those had been were slightly scored. So mm. clearly at some stage it either ran low on oil or had been allowed to, um, you know, just been in, in its racing life, had a hard time. Yeah. It was, it, and it was a disaster. And I, you know, yes, I thought I'd you know, effectively stolen the car or bought it at a very reasonable price. Mm. But when you're suddenly looking at, a, you know, a giant sort of um, airfix kit mm. uh, and uh, you don't really know where you're going with this, I mean, yeah. How do you put it all back together? In what format do you put it back together? Mm, yeah. Uh, do you then decide to convert it back into a standard road car uh, with all that entails? Mm. Um, so there was then a, um, a quite a reasonable period of, um, you know, what have I done? Uh, <laughs> I've spent, you know, a lot of money. I've got, yes, I've got an F40 LM, um, but um, it's one that's really completely broken. Mm. And uh, it had, um, you know, well, there were sort of various paths open to us as to the way to go forward. Yeah. So then in this sort of depression, I then began to, you know, it's, I was very lucky today, which you know, some of your younger listeners won't appreciate perhaps. But mm. the Internet is just the most incredible mm. tool when yeah. you're trying to find out about something like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up typing in, you know, F40 chassis and put the chassis number after it. And um, suddenly things began to pop up. Mm. And there were photographs. I knew it had a racing history. And the the vendor told me it had done a bit of racing. But um, bit by bit, 
you suddenly find that, hello, there it is, it's racing at Spa. Oh, oh wow. Here it is at Nürburgring. Gosh. Um, and then on my uh, um, uh, FChat uh, restoration thread, mm -hmm. which, if you can believe it, Andy, we've now had over a million hits. Wow, gosh. Uh, just on that one. Um, gosh. Uh, suddenly people started popping up and saying, oh, hi, um, I saw your car racing in um, at Zandvoort, or right. I saw your car racing in the Kumba Challenge, or I saw... And, and amazingly enough, these people had photographs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and uh, so... The um, internet's such a great resource, isn't it? I it's mean, just, it's yeah. just unreal. I mean, yeah. you couldn't, you simply couldn't do that today. Yeah, yeah. And bit by bit, I began to bit by bit, I began to build up a picture of just what had happened to this car, mm. what its history was. Um, it was originally converted, like a lot of these cars, from a road car by a German race team called Hamann. Okay. And oh, yes, yes, I know Hamann. Yeah. You made that. I think they're still in existence. Mm, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it uh, was converted for the BPR series, which, as you know, was an international series throughout Europe. Mm -hmm. And there was it was it was a serious you know a serious business though I mean top of the tree probably were the um, F1 GTR McLarens that were racing uh, and you know, every other you know car of that league whether mm. it's you know um, all the Porsches uh, I mean just it was anyway a highly highly competitive series yeah and uh, then I found that miraculously it actually held a lap record at I think Hockenheim oh wow okay. Um, and uh, where it actually, you know, was quicker than the um, McLaren. Gosh. Um, which, I mean, a brave soul at the wheel, clearly. But mm. it was mm. still, you know, so bit by bit, one began to build up a picture that it did have a history. Yes, it wasn't perfect. You know, you couldn't say that, you know, race at Le Mans in, you know, 91 and 92 and come fourth in class or whatever. Mm. But it did have a proper race history. A respectable um, one at that as well. So, And you know, perfectly respectable. Mm, yeah. um, not fantastic, but perfectly respectable. Mm. And it hadn't been crashed as far as I could see. Um, well, now we had the opportunity to see if it had been crashed because, of course, the chassis was down to literally the chassis. <laughs> right, yes. You know, and so it was very easy to put it on a jig and see just how bad it was, which is, I suppose... That was the thing that worried me most, is having bought this car, you know, maybe the thing wasn't all four square. Maybe there were issues with the chassis, which then would have really taken a lot of the joy out of it. Sure, yeah. So we stuck it on the computerized um, jig down at uh, Kevin's, and uh, it actually turned out to be the truest F40 chassis, and they've had quite a few through, mm. that they've ever had through. It was just wow. about spot on. And if you bear in mind how these were built, mm. you know, it was um, a miracle. So thank the Lord, finally, mm. having unpeeled the onion and just ended up with this, as I said, big box of red parts, mm. uh, we actually had uh, really good, solid ground to build on. Yeah, yeah. The race history, there was nothing I could find on the Internet that said, you know, here's a picture of, you know, chassis number X, you know, by the side of the road having collided with. Mm. Um you know, it was clear it really was genuine. It did have a proper history, and mm. it did um, not end up buried in a wall somewhere. But uh, the issue I, I then had mm. was that we had, okay, so finally we had some history. So effectively, we, you know, what I'd done is I think I probably unearthed some value to substantiate my purchase. Yeah. 
Uh, and because, uh, as you know, with you know a lot of old Ferraris, all you have to do is have a chassis plate, just about, mm. and you can you know rebuild from there. Yeah, um, it's the chassis plate and the history of that chassis which is all important. Mm. So then I was mumbling around and, and just thinking, well, where do I go with this now? I mean, we could put it back together in the way in which it was in which it had raced. Um, had it been very successful? No, mm. it hadn't been very successful. They had, Haman um, had taken a particular route with it. Uh, the engine had been um, rebuilt and modified and um, had all its uh, changes made by none other than Peter Sauber. Uh, oh, right. Fame. Yes, yes. So his hand was sort of early in there, which is another nice name to you know, mm. have associated with the car. Sure, yeah. But in quite an unusual way, um, so as to get a slightly better weight distribution, they had actually arranged the, they'd taken the radiator and the oil radiator, so therefore both water radiator and oil radiator, mm-hmm. out of, um, well, the oil radiator in particular, out of the rear, and they'd put it to the front. Oh, and okay. The, the result of that was, yes, you got a little bit better weight distribution, but the, it must have been hot as a pistol in there, because you then had all those lines running straight through the center tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, as I said, the whole thing was a mess. It was all in one sort of, um, you know, one effectively one big box. So I then, um, it was the other thing I'd found out at the time was um, I contacted a chap called Michael Sheehan. Oh yes, in the US, Ferrari guru, and yeah. I think his word, his word is very well respected in the industry. Mm, yeah. He managed to produce a sheet of the cars, all the LMs, all the sort of factory cars, all the privateer cars. Mm. And there were about 30 cars that were converted to what he considered to be a proper LM specification. Okay. And yet only 19 of those raced in an international event. Wow, gosh. My car was one of those 19. So yes, there were Michelotti cars, which are obviously more valuable, mm. but then there were still 19, only 19 cars that could possibly have any form of international race history. Mm. Um, so uh, that was another encouraging sort of uh, nod. That, mm. you know, it really was quite a rare car, despite the fact that it was you know, a pile of rubbish. <laughs> um, anyway, so then the decision was, as I said, what route we took it in. And um, the first thing I did was I thought, well, let's go to the source of all of this. Let's go to Michelotto. Right. So there then started a really a sort of three month um, chase. Uh, started off with emails, uh, telephone calls, mm-hmm. none of which were responded to. Right. Okay. Uh, because you know who am I calling up about you know, an obscure chassis number? Mm. And eventually. Um, I have no idea why, but I decided to try the number I had for him. At uh, I, it was I was actually overseas at the time, and it was um, effectively two o'clock in the morning in Italy. Right. Okay. And um, because it was sort of you know it was only evening time for where I was, I thought, well, I'll just give this a, give this a try. Mm. And um, I find myself talking to Cristiano Michelotto. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, Finally, I'd nailed him, and uh, and he so was, he he wasn't upset that you called him at two o'clock in the morning. Not at all. Oh wow! Because of the international um, um, mm. 
part of his business. You know, mm. he's racing in America or the Far East or wherever it may be. Mm. Yeah. Um, he said, effectively, you know, I, I'm almost running a 24-hour business here. So this is the best time for me. Right, okay. Between about 12 and 3 was a good time to get hold of him. And that's 12 and 3. That's midnight and 3 a.m. Gosh, well. So this became our normal sort of conversation time. <laughs> right. Our way. Um, anyway, he was absolutely delightful. And amazingly, when I mentioned the chassis number, mm. um, with that sort of uh, knowledge of obviously the uh, LM cars, he said, yes, well, I, I know the car and I always wondered what had happened to it. Oh, okay. Uh, which was another sort of heartening reaction as yeah. opposed yeah. to, uh, yeah, you know, well, we can't help you. Mm. And so I discussed it with him and it was, he were obviously is a complete font of all knowledge about all things LM. Mm. And he was able to steer me in the right direction. For example, he said, if you're going to have an LM, it's got to have that wider front track. Right. It's biggest single difference in development that the car has. It's mm. just it revolutionizes the car. Mm. Uh, he said, if you're going to, um, you know, you want lots of power. If you go to 750 horsepower, which the car will easily make, mm -hmm. then you've got to accept it's a mandatory crankshaft change. Right. At, I think it's 3000 miles. Right. Okay. So, well, that, you know, that warns you off going to 750 or more horsepower mm. because where are you going to dig up an F40 crankshaft? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we went through it and he was able to help and steer me into what the right thing to do was. Wow. Uh, and then um, we went from there to, well, Christiana, can you supply any of these parts to us? Mm. And because he knew the car, um, he was happy to provide effectively the full LM you know, suspension, brakes, wow. rim, just the entire gamut. Well, gosh. Uh, and the wonderful thing about that is none of it's sitting on the shelf. Uh, it's all bespoke, all tailor-made. You know, as you were saying that, I was just thinking to myself, you know, would he have this on the shelf? But obviously not. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, no. Wow, uh, gosh. And very helpfully... Um, he, when I asked him about various other parts we need, he told me they'd literally just finished destroying all the body molds and everything mm. else. Yeah, yeah. Pity, because otherwise we might have got some other parts <laughs> from it. That's a shame. <laughs> um, but uh, so uh, then it was another long process to actually agree what I wanted to buy, mm -hmm. get a quote, send him the money, and then the parts. Right. And it probably took close on six months before finally some parts rolled into uh, East Hampton mm -hmm. um, to Moto Technique. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, they are priced according to what they are. I, they come from Michelotto mm. um, and they are bespoke. Yeah. yeah. And when you look at them, when we started to unpack them, okay, the rims were the rims. Mm. But when you looked at everything else, uh, the brakes, Okay, straight out of Brembo, so mm -hmm. nothing particularly extraordinary about that. Mm -hmm. But the suspension, yeah. if you are a sort of welding freak, I mean, it was the, the quality of the welding, the yeah. detail of the welding mm -hmm. is just orgasmic. It mm -hmm. is just beautifully, beautifully done. Uh, you've got rare materials in there. You've got bits of titanium. You've got bits of avionol. Mm -hmm. You've got, I think it's called avionol or avionol. Uh, you've got, it's infinitely adjustable. It is delicious. And it's all got its own reference number. Wow. You know, this reference number relates to this chassis, mm -hmm. and that's it. Gosh. Uh, so it was, um, yes, 
very expensive. Mm-hmm. But number one, it added total credibility to the car. Mm. And number two, it was quality. There was no question about it. This hadn't just been churned out. It was really, you know, top class workmanship. Mm. Well, gosh. I mean, it's amazing having somebody like that part of the project. Um, but then also to to turn this car into um, a, a late Michelotto car, you know, effectively, you know, um, although it wasn't done at the, you know, in the in the early batch, you know, but to have all those parts supplied by Michelotto for your car. I mean, that's that in itself. It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was to me, that was the absolute breakthrough. Mm. And that really having Cristiano's support enabled me to make the decision as to what we were going to do. And mm. you put it absolutely right, Andy. I, I, you know, there was no point restoring it to what it was mm. um, because it wasn't particularly pretty and it wasn't particularly successful. Mm. But there was a point now that I had Michelotto on board to take the car into effect, into being a drivable LM, mm. you know, oh, not one of the 19 or one, sorry, not one of the 17, mm-hmm. but a sort of not an 18th car, but at least, you know, a, a, a quasi um, Michelotto LM. Mm. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and therefore, the idea of having you know, the oil cooler in the front, that, that was just gone. Mm. We were now going to effectively restore this to um, uh, you know, as near an, an original LM as we could do. So uh, that was then the, the, the path I'd chosen to tread. Sure. And now the word restoration obviously crept in, and mm. with it, my budget you know, just clearly. I just spent, just on the parts from Michelotto, I'd spent more than I was proposing to do on the overhaul. Oh, wow. Gosh. So I, I was already in deep. Mm. Uh, but the problem I have is that in my own business, I am a perfectionist. Mm. And when I start something like this, there is only one way you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do an 80% job or a 90% job. Mm. It's got to be 110%. Yeah. It has to be, you know, really, really good. Well, one of the, one of the things also with Ferraris in, in doing things in the right way is that it does add value um, to the end product. Um, and if you if you sort of cut corners, then, you know, it, it's, it's obvious, you know, people in the industry will be able to tell straight away, um, you know, it, it does take the value away from the car, um, so you, you know you've 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 tackled it in exactly the right way. You know you've looked at what's the right thing to do, and that's the that's the way that you've then gone. And that that's you know I commend you for that because a lot of people in, in maybe it's less so in the Ferrari world, more so in other car um, with other car marks. But you know they they try and cut corners um, to to save money, and you know. It, it's, there's just no points when it comes to these sorts of cars. No, there isn't, because apart from anything else, you're either building a problem mm. uh, or you just won't do it right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there seemed no point. I mean, the thing was in pieces. So if you're going to put it all back together, and when I say pieces, as I said, mm. every single component was stripped down to its you know, original. Yeah. Um, there is there was no point apart from to put it back together you know one hundred percent correctly mm. there was now no opportunity to do a shortcut um, and so having got the chassis down to just you know bare tubes mm. um, there was you know, we went even further and we had the whole thing bead blasted so we were then down to bare metal oh, well wow. gosh okay uh, and uh, so we really were you know right at the base of mm. I suppose just how the car was originally built mm. and when you think about it. When I was doing this, the car was 25 years old. Mm. 
So if you think about a GTO, you know, what's that, a 1963 car? Mm, yeah. And uh, a lot of those were restored, a lot, I mean, you know, 37 old or whatever. But, um, you know, 25 years on, all those would need restoring. Yeah. So yeah. really the car needed rebuilding. Mm. You know, it needed a proper going over. Uh, so then um, we slowly built up from there. And uh, with Cristiano's help, and his parts, you know, we now we we, we know we've got a an LM rolling chassis, mm. uh, and uh, obviously the next thing to pay real attention to is the engine. Yeah, yeah, I was going yeah. to say. I mean, sort of, did you did you end up? You know, obviously the, the engine itself was taken apart at this stage, so you were effectively rebuilding the entire engine again. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the engine itself was down to nothing, mm. uh, and we. Um, you know, the, the decision was made because we had a crankshaft, which was in, um, you know, well, not in great shape, mm. that um, we really had to sort, um, you know, sort that out in its entirety. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, along the way, so many other things have come up. You know, when we tore the gearbox down, we found that reverse gear had a hairline fraction. Right, right. Uh, can you get a reverse gear from Ferrari? Can you get a reverse gear from, um, you know, Marinello's parts? Mm, mm. Um, yes, you can, but it comes attached to the main shaft. Right. Um, and I think it was $20,000 for a reverse gear. Right. Okay. So you think, well, can we do, we're not going to drive backwards often. You mm. know, can we do without, um, you know, okay, it's got a hairline fracture, but it's unlikely to be able to put under much pressure. Mm, mm. Uh, can we do without it? Um, and I thought, no, I, and I can't rebuild a gearbox. And no, I've got a dodgy reverse gear. Sure, every yeah. time I back out of the pits or whatever mm. it is, I'll think, oh, God, is it going to go? Mm. Um, so um, we then, um, you know, we had that problem. And so that was our first introduction to a company called Crossweight and Gardner. Okay. Um, who are probably the world's top classic car uh, manufacturer of parts. Indeed, I think Audi recently commissioned them to build them uh, an old auto union from scratch. Ah, yes. This now rings ring a bell. bell. This does ring a bell. Yes, it does. Um, and so we gave them this um, you know, terrible sort of two-piece reverse gear and said, can mm -hmm. you do something with that? Mm -hmm. um, and that particular piece, I think, took about eight months. Wow. Uh, but they produced this in Ferrari, it was in it was a two part piece. Mm -hmm. Crossweight and Garda did it as a one part piece. Wow, I mean it's just a beautiful machining, uh, very complex machining, but beautiful mm. machining. Mm. Wow. And uh, so that will you know that'll last forever. And at the same time, um, we you know, that introduced us to Crossweight and Garda. So then I looked at our pile of parts and thought, well, hold on, um, our crankshaft, our camshafts, our I mean everything. Why not just send the whole lot off to them? Because mm. they know their business. They can produce this stuff, mm. you know, really, uh, you know, one arm behind their back. If, if, if Audi are going to entrust them to build an auto union, I, I'm sure they can sort out, sure. you know, my little problem. Yeah. So we basically, we shipped off to them the block, the, you know, the crankshaft, the, um, we had some new titanium conrods made, mm -hmm. actually, which they, they produced. Um, and they then took responsibility really for the whole lower half of the engine okay wow. and that meant we had you know everything perfectly balanced and dynamically balanced mm -hmm. 
so it was um you know a, an entire um selection of parts which are all beautifully married to one another well wow. great uh, and we knew they were that was in very very safe hands so mm. that was great mm. so they could then carry on uh building our or restoring the lower half of the engine mm. um and doing the uh, camshafts as well because of course the camshafts turns out that they were slightly worn because i suppose if you wear out you know if you've got score marks on the crankshaft there's yeah. a chance that the camshafts have been short of oil sure yeah um and at the same time you know new valves all reseated new new valve seats just everything you'd expect to do mm. um on you know a total bottom end and top end rebuild yeah yeah uh and then of course it went a bit further because uh, we then looked at the old uh, race clutch, which was um, obviously an old sax unit, very burnt out and finished, mm -hmm. and with a very um, uh, very lightweight racing flywheel, uh, which was um, shot. You had, I think it was, I think it had two wobbly timing pins on the flywheel. Okay. When I say wobbly, I mean you could move them with your finger. Oh, right, okay. so, so as they went round on the flywheel, they would have been given very erratic information Right. Uh, and the um, flywheel itself was rusted. And I mean, this car had been sitting in a barn uh, with the original owner to the extent that there was even mold growing on the seats. Oh, gosh. Well, wow. so, you know, it wasn't a surprise that we find the flywheel was rusted and ruined. So mm. now we had to get a new flywheel. And, and strange enough, again, the power of the Internet, one of the threads I was posting on, someone said, have you tried XYZ company? Mm -hmm. Um. And XYZ Company produced a carbon copy of our of our flywheel, wow. absolutely perfect. But now we had more timing pins you can shake a stick at. Right. So we could actually the chances were we were going to be able to dial this engine in far more accurately than mm. it had ever run before. Wow. So um, yes, we had a contemporary flywheel. It wasn't the old part, mm. but it was a carbon copy of what the car used to run. Mm. So, um, and the fact that it had extra timing pins was just yeah. an added, you know, contemporary bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's best, uh, better in that sense, really. Exactly. Mm. So, uh, and then meanwhile, of course, we've been talking about the electronics and we are carrying on with that stage, proposing to do analog gauges. Mm -hmm. And this car raced with analog gauges, whereas the original LMs raced with um, a uh, Morelli setup. Right, right. Well, I got hold of Morelli in Italy. And that was just a joke. And so I spoke to Cristiano again. I said, Cristiano, you know, what would you do about this? He said, basically, he said, the electronics are a nightmare. Don't go near it. Right. Um, and he put, put me off using um, any Italian kit. Okay. But we wanted to run this car. This wasn't going to be something to look at. The mm. idea was to use this car. Mm. Yeah. So therefore, we needed contemporary electronics so that we could you know, fine-tune, take advantage of our additional timing pins. Sure. Um, and actually uh, get the engine. I mean, my, my approach was I didn't want to leave one horsepower on the bench. Right. So that meant inevitably MoTeC. So we decided we would change all the instrumentation and all the electronics, and we would go to a MoTeC unit. Oh, wow. Okay. And so the upshot of that was we had our electronic dash, but what we did have now was infinite adjustability, wow. uh, which was um, oh, just a huge advance over where you were. Because you now deal. There is no one, I'm told, uh, or so Cristiano told me, 
who will deal with the original LM electronics. Right, okay. You know, you've got to find some, you know, um, really a geek who used mm. to, you know, work on them back in the day or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted a car, as I said, that I could use, not the whole time thinking, oh, God, now the rev count has gone, and, mm. and, you know, how do we make that work again? Mm, mm, mm. So Motec seemed to be the answer there. So it sounds like a decision that you don't regret at all then? No. Yeah. No. Because uh, what it gave us was that ability to really peer into the engine mm. um, and adjust it. And given where the car ended up, uh, which was, you know, it's now down at a track where um, we are at about, I think it's about 3,000 foot. Right. And so the uh, ability to get into the Motec unit and adjust it for where we are mm. uh, is something which with the old uh, Magneti Morelli unit, I mean, we'd have got a nosebleed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it was definitely the right, not as a historic piece, it wasn't the right move to, to go, but I mm. always felt that track cars would possibly come more and more into their own. As, yeah. You know, the uh, ability to drive fast on the road goes, mm. um, you know, whether it's police or cameras or electric vehicles or autonomous vehicles, mm. and therefore... You know, cars like this on the track, that's really what they should be doing. They should be, that's where they should be living. But they shouldn't just be sitting up there looking pretty mm. because, uh, you know, they weren't built for that. No, exactly. Exactly. Uh, right. Yes, they happen to look pretty pretty, but um, I wanted to use this. And uh, anyway, so bit by bit, uh, the car slowly came back together. Mm. Then there was that sort of wonderful transformational moment where we actually got um, paint out. Okay, and uh, uh, you know, again, you do research and you find out that Ferraris were painted, or sorry, F40s were painted in three different sorts of red. Right, uh, and uh, we chose the the deepest, the bloodiest, the most sort of Italian red that the cars were built in, which is a delicious sort of deep blood red, which is lovely. And, and what shade is that called then? Uh, it's a Rosso Corsa, inevitably. Okay. Um, but I, you know, I don't think I can recall now. Is it a variant of Rosso Corsa then? Is that? It is. Um, yeah, it is a variant. But mm. what um, what it's called now? If you'd asked me this back in the day uh, when I did this, which was what sort of seven years ago, mm. um, I would have um, been able to tell you. Oh yes, it was you know a particular color. Yeah, yeah. From memory. And this really is from memory. I mm. think it's it was three hundred slash twelve, something like that. Right. Um, but it was, you know, obviously that was an original color for this car. Mm. And one of the other great advantages of stripping the car down as far as we had is when we rebuilt it, one of the great differentiators of a standard car from an LM was this delicious special silver paint that the chassis were painted in. Right. The standard F40 mm. chassis is all black. Yeah. LM chassis are silver. Okay. And um, who has the secret key to what that silver is? Because it's not just any silver. Oh, right. Okay. Know, it's a Michelotto silver. Mm. So we were able to extract that again from Michelotto. So we have, you know, the perfect paints, in, wow. you know, both on the chassis and on, on the body of the car. Mm. And it is. Only the Italians could do this. I mean, why bother to paint the chassis silver? But when you look at the red, that blood red, yeah. contrasted against that silver chassis and that silver detailing, it is just wonderful. Wow. 
Um, and I suppose that's the whole thing about Ferrari, isn't it? Mm. They, you know, when we'd restored the engine, when we put the whole thing back together, it's just, it's, it's an enormous lump. But unlike, it's a, a beautiful thing to look at. Mm. Yeah. Um, it has a sort of elegance, a an Italian um, gene to it mm. that is, you know, you look at any of the old Ferraris, you go back to the 330, the 275, you open the bonnet of any old Ferrari, mm. they are, when I say any old, I mean any classic Ferrari, Yeah. they're as beautiful under the skin as they are, are on top. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nowadays, to me, you know, I, I open the bonnet of my TDF and it's, wow, what a big engine. Yeah. Um, but it's got nothing on what these old engines look like. Yeah, they they uh, they they do. They look beautiful. Um, you know, and and I, I guess with with any modern car, if you open up gen generally any modern car, you know they're generally covered in plastics. And Ferrari, thankfully, haven't not gone down that route. And you know, you, even now you open up the engines, and you know they're still quite beautiful to look at. But compared to the classic cars you're right i mean the old the old classic cars every single detail whether it was in the engine or the interior or the exterior the fronts you know even the window shapes and everything like that they're all designed not for mass production but for the way it looks you know the beauty of it and you know you really feel that in the older cars and the f40 is no exception to that yep. I, I, and I don't feel the artisans who built these things actually went out of their way to do it like that. It was just mm. in their blood. Mm, yeah, it was the way yeah, that they did it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you, know, you know, we can't understand why anyone would do it any different. And mm. yet the end result is that all these details end up, you know, looking wonderful, rather like the open gate on the gear shift. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It just looks, you know, it just looks right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, now finally we are sort of back on the road insofar as we were constructing Mm -hmm. um, and uh, bit by bit, we got the engine back together. All the parts uh, flooded in in a rush suddenly from Crossway and Gardner. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was um, duly assembled uh, by Colin, who was the engine builder down there. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, meanwhile, the checks keep on being written. Um, and you know, one finally has something that's beginning to look like a car, but mm. I mean, it's still a long way off. Mm. And this was um, over the, the over the course of I think um, you mentioned last time that it was it took four years to really from start to finish mm. probably close to four years yeah you know, a lot of it the car was just sitting there idle we were waiting for parts of Michelotto mm. uh, you know waiting for advice um, you know Crossway and Garda doing their thing mm. you know if you're going to deal with these people then I'm afraid you worked their time frame not yours yeah yeah. Um, uh, but they were the right people to deal with. You know, yeah. we were dealing with the very best, and um, consequently, uh, it meant that there was no you know, no hurry involved mm. from their side, and therefore there could be no hurry involved from mine. It was going to be when it was going to be. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so finally, anyway, we got the engine all back together, uh, and that went back into the chassis, and then bit by bit, the rest of the car was built up again. As I said, in LM form, we got mm. the oil cooler back where it belonged right uh and um we uh just um oh i suppose the next thing then was we then had to look at the interior and of course mm. the seats were rubbish mm. yes they were original lm seats but as i said they had mold growing out of them so you go and try and find that that old red fabric mm. uh you know which is now whatever it is what 30 years old yeah yeah um for f40s I mean, it doesn't exist. Yeah, 
So thankfully, Kevin's son is one of the UK's top trimmers. Okay. And he had somehow, he had, I think he'd had made a batch of fabric. Okay. And so he was able to recover our seats, you know, exactly as original. Mm. Wow. Uh, so that was quite an easy sort of interior job, you know, mm. not like it was normally doing on old, you know, mm. classic cars whereby you've got all the leather and everything else. Yeah, yeah. But that again took some time for that to come through. Anyway, without wishing to go on forever. We finally, after I suppose about three years of actual work, mm-hmm. um, had a car which uh, was now ready to go off. Well, first of all, it had to be started. And there was that terribly anxious moment. As oh, you gosh. Can yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you've now got the computers logged into it. Uh, we had uh, a very helpful guy down in the West Country who was doing all our electronics remotely. Mm-hmm. So again, courtesy of the internet, you're, you know, You've got this fellow in the West Country, um, we're in East Molesley, mm-hmm. and uh, you know all the. Um, he wrote a map. He sent it to us. We downloaded it, put it into the Motec, and uh, amazingly, we're slightly nervous. Colin, first try of the starter, it 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 just ticked over. Oh, a, bit, a bit lumpy, but okay. it started. Wow. So that was that was great. Relief, relief. Um, and relief, as you say. Mm, yeah. Uh, but clearly, we were a long way for our... I mean, what I wanted to try and do is I wanted to try and get it to 720 horsepower because that's what it raced with. It raced with 720 horsepower. Right. Then had a top speed of about 230. Wow. Um, and uh, it was um, well, clearly you know, a staggeringly fast car. Mm. I didn't and, want it and it feels faster. I mean, an F40, um, even doing sort of 60, 70, 80, you know, with the noise and everything like that, you know, it, you know, it feels very quick. But to do that sort of speed, I can yeah, imagine I mean, it's it just, just... It would have been just uh, heroic. I mean, yeah. the people who race these sort of cars, they're yeah. all lunatics, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, we then, um, you know, it effectively worked. And bit by bit, we were given another map and we made some adjustments and mm-hmm. there were only one or two minor leaks. So that was great. And then it was really a sort of slight day of reckoning. We had to go off to the dyno to see what we had on our hands here. Mm-hmm. And that was good news and bad news insofar as we put it on the dyno and we found that the car was only producing about 600 horsepower. Okay. And that seemed rather disappointing mm. and it turns out that we had the wrong size injectors okay. and so and also um oversized um turbos right so we then uh swapped our turbos uh went to some different injectors and went back and tried again okay and that got the power up a bit but still the injectors were holding us back. And then we found that Asnu seemed to have mislabeled the injectors. Okay. So we now had to take the whole engine apart again because it's not, you know, replacing the injectors is, you know, it's intercoolers off. It's, it's mm. not easy access on this car. Mm. Uh, and so for the third time, we replaced the injectors. Then we took it back. And then um, we were able to set it up properly. And we got three settings on the car. Again, courtesy of Motec. Mm-hmm. We've got, in effect sort of everyday setting, yep. which is 550 horsepower. Mm-hmm. We've got a secondary setting, which is 650 horsepower. Mm-hmm. 
And then we did. We got up. Uh, I think we got to 718 or 719 horsepower. Wow. Call it 720 horsepower, which is on the sort of Banzai setting. Yeah, yeah. And we've left a fourth setting free because we could, if you wanted to go on racing fuel, mm-hmm. if you wanted to run the boost a bit higher, yeah. uh, we could go more. We could go to our 750. We could probably get close to 800. But wow. the words of Michelotto are ringing in my ears mm. about a mandatory crankshaft change. Yeah. And uh, that's just an expense I'm just not prepared to consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that then, you know, finally, after all this, we had a finished car, which was working. Fantastic. Wow. Um, and we had to do all this because a friend of mine who is CEO of uh, Ferrari Northern Europe mm-hmm. had invited me up to Silverstone mm-hmm. for uh, Ferrari Racing Days to effectively launch the car there. Right. Okay. So wow. uh, we went up there and we had a launch of the car there, which was great. Mm-hmm. And it was actually it was parked in sort of private place next door to a La Ferrari. Wow. And it was interesting seeing the you know the amount of attention that the relative cars uh, drew. Mm. Um, and it was clearly you know um, getting more attention than I would have anticipated, uh, because I suppose after all this time with the car, you become a bit blasé about it. You take it slightly for granted. Mm. Uh, anyway, so we've now got a completed car. We've now got a car which is putting out the right power. And uh, obviously, track test was next up. Mm. So we initially went down to Long Cross um, near Egham. Okay. Uh, where there is the uh, t- test track. And John Barker, who mm. so I'd been in touch with Evo. Right. Because um, Kevin had an inquiry from Evo. And they were very interested in the car. And so John Barker came down to give it a sort of shakedown. Oh, right. Okay. And um, that was obviously a slightly nervous um, interview mm. because here was, you know, a sort of a world-renowned you know, chassis and handling expert. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, taking on this car. Mm. And um, he could have said, oh, this is just a disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, but his parting comment after a very nervous day at long cross mm. was um like an f40 just more of everything wow so Spot that on. Was, there you go yeah 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 so the next thing was a proper track test so we went up to anglesey mm-hmm. um and uh dickie meaden also from evo right uh was our designated driver and so we all filed up there, and the, uh, the car eventually made it. And uh, the clouds and the skies cleared. And from a wet day, we suddenly had a, one of those perfect sort of, wow. you know, cold, um, you know, dry days that come mm-hmm. in off the Atlantic because it's mm-hmm. normally just pouring there the whole mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, Dickie started to take the car out, and he um, was doing a few laps, and then. He came back and he said, there's something very wrong. The back end keeps on sort of stepping out, and I, I'm particularly on this left-hander. Mm. Anyway, so he popped the back. And uh, I suddenly looked at uh, one of the rear shocks, and um, I saw that the, effectively the rear shock had collapsed. Oh, gosh. Wow. So we took that apart. And it turns out that the collets, which sit on top of the shocks and, mm-hmm. and hold the spring in place, and bear in mind, these are assembled by Coney, by Michelotto, I'm not quite sure by whom, mm. ready to go onto a race car. Right. Wow. They had been assembled upside down. Oh, gosh. Wow. Uh, so 
that was the end of our test. And I was really dispirited by that. Yeah. And uh, but Dickie said, look, I can tell you, he said, even now, this is the one of one of five cars I've ever driven. Mm. Um, it, this has got something fantastically special about it. It's one of just one of the most exciting cars I've ever driven. Wow. Wow. He said, he said, you've got to persist. Well, obviously, you know, we were mm. going to persist. So uh, another midnight call to Michelotto. Um, and we sent the shocks back and uh, immediately we got a, a new set of slightly better, more adjustable shocks came back from him. Okay. So uh, all those were bolted on. And of course, I'm telling this in a few minutes, but, you know, this all takes months. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then we're back to Donington. And uh, we have Dickie at Donington this time. Mm. And the um, uh, British touring cars were busy testing there. And I think Aston was testing there as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't unfortunately be there because I had other commitments, which really upset me. Mm. But um, anyway, it went up there. Dickie started off with a 550 horsepower setting one. Mm -hmm. Then he ramped it up. Of course, being a racer, Mm. uh, he didn't like the look of these, you know, Astons and BTCC cars and, um, you know, everything putting Mm. one over him. Mm. So we found out when we downloaded the data that he had really given the car a work, working out. <laughs> he had it on the max and around the back wow. of the circuit where no one was really looking. I had not passed the pits. Yeah. He'd given it a proper workout. Gosh. Wow. And uh, suddenly, uh, uh, this is you know, hearsay, obviously, because I wasn't there, but from mm. the guys who were there watching it, mm. uh, the pit wall was filled with the um, BTCC people who suddenly were looking at this car thinking it's not just a beautiful looking car. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the right hands, it can really do something. Yeah. And uh, so he came back from that and his, um, I think his one line of that was basically sweet as a nut. Wow. And uh, so when I heard that, I thought, great. We've really, we put the car through the ringer. We haven't sort of messed about getting Mm. Some second-rate journo to you know give his view on it, you know, saying you can have it at you know 450 horsepower and, and yeah. please don't drive too fast. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we'd effectively said, well, here's the car, mm. you know, let's see what she got. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and he had um, probably driven it harder than I was anticipating, mm. and uh, this was going to be featured in Evo magazine, as indeed it was. Mm. Uh, so, you know, and that to me was going to be, I suppose, the full stop to this whole project was going to be what did Evo say about it? Mm. You know, would they give it four stars? Would they give it three stars? Would it yeah. be a disaster? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that then had to wait. And then finally the uh, report came out in Evo mm-hmm. and they dedicated, I think it was 10 or 12 pages to the car. Wow, gosh. Uh, which was in- incredibly flattering. Mm. And uh, then at the at the uh, very end, um, in point of fact, I've got it here. What did they say at the very end? They did give it five stars, which was what I was desperate to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think their final comment was, cars come no more intoxicating than this. Wow. Now, well, from High praise. Sort of, yeah, from that sort of pedigree of, mm. you know, drivers and testing and um uh you know what we put the car through mm. that was just fantastic to get a comment like that to yeah. get five stars yeah 
uh, you know, if you read the report, it's just as good as it could possibly be. Mm. Uh, but it was reward for this blind faith that I'd put in everyone, I suppose, because yeah. yeah. I have to keep on writing the checks through all of this. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, there's, you can't go to someone and say, what's it going to cost? Yeah. Because no one can give you a price. No. no you, exactly. It's on an island basis. You just keep on at it. You mm. keep on at it. The bills keep on coming in from Michelotto, from yes. Westway from Gardner, yes. from the dino people, from Kevin, mm. you know, from you know, the, the tire people. It just, it doesn't stop. Well, so, it's, it's fantastic to hear that you've persevered through the whole thing, you know, the whole experience, you know, having purchased the car at the start and expecting to do, you know, one set of activity on the car in order to get it, you know, track worthy. And then realizing that there's so much more to this that needs to be done. And then actually, you know, per- persevering and actually finding the right people to work with to, you know, effectively, you know, make the car what it is today. Um, you know, it, it's it's huge credit to yourself and huge credit to the entire team that's been involved to actually pull this whole thing off and put put this whole you know make this car what it is today really well no thank you i mean you know we were very lucky we had a great team uh we couldn't have done it without you know michelotto mm. not opening his doors but effectively you know providing all the information the knowledge the parts and everything else that we needed yeah yeah um and i mean i was very lucky because uh you know i you know i had just about the wherewithal to do this mm. Uh, so, you know, when I took the position that you know, I bought the car, we weren't just going to do an overhaul. We had to do a rebuild. Yeah. I knew it was going to hurt. I didn't mm. think it was going to hurt this much. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't going to um, destroy my life. Yeah. It was yeah. going to just put a lot of pressure on me. Mm. But there was only one way to do it. You know, and the result is, you know, the car now sits down at this track um, in Europe. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's, you know... You, when you go to it, I mean, I go there half a dozen times a year, mm. and you see it sitting in its pit box, um, all, you know, beautifully polished, clean, yeah. you know, just ready to go. I mean, it just, uh, you know, it does it with Ferraris. The older the Ferrari, the mm. more you get this this feeling of, of um, it's not just excitement, it's a privilege. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you sit in that car, and you think this is something very special. You look at that prancing horse on mm. the wheel. You look at the barren interior uh, of the F40. Yeah. Uh, you start it. I'm sorry. You've got to be um, just sh- short of any form of sensation if a tingle doesn't run up your spine when you start the car. Yeah. Well, the the F40 is one of those vehicles. I mean, you know, it's um, you know, it's been the one for me ever since um, I was young. It was the one that I that stood out for me it looked like nothing else uh it sounded like nothing else and you know it was so you know it was it was so, such a step forward compared to anything else that was being made at the time i mean you sort of look at the f40 and the 959 as being two cars that were released around the same time and you know the 959 is a great car but the f40 is um so much more than that there's something about it which is just no, everything goes up to nine or ten on most cars, but everything with Ferrari and then F40 with LM, everything goes to eleven. Mm. It's just that little bit more of everything. Yeah, that, you know that little bit more excitement, that little bit more um, emotion. Yeah, a uh, little bit more on the noise, on everything. Yeah, and just the way it looks. Yeah, you, know, you see it coming down the pit straight, and you just think, well, 
I can't believe it. That car raced in 1989. Mm, mm. You know, and yeah. it looks just like a you know a beautiful sort of contemporary car. Yeah. So it's it's been a long journey, but it's one I'm very glad I made. We had the right result at the end of the day, and I'm very very privileged and very fortunate that I get to enjoy it. Tim, it's been fascinating. Um, talking to you again um, and you know we, we feel privileged to have um, been able to experience um, part of this journey with you um, so thank you very much thank you well I have to say I do enjoy these episodes where I'm talking to owners and talking about the cars that they've brought back to life essentially and after last week's episode and I'm probably going to get it after this week's episode as well um, I received so many emails from different owners who had gone through similar sort of things with their cars restoring their cars um so yeah it seems to be um, a problem that we all have really uh, which is uh um which is not a bad problem but if you're enjoying it do let us know uh, i know it's been a long uh, episode so we'll make the exit here once again today's sponsor is something that i get asked about a lot and that is who i use for my hosting i recommend bluehost and the reason why i recommend them is because i use them myself they're incredibly easy to set up uh, they have a one-click automatic wordpress installation and it really is as simple as just one click you can host multiple domains on them and there's no need to pay for any extras when you decide to increase the number of websites that you're hosting with them. They have outstanding customer service and they're one of the companies that actually say, yeah, you can give us a call, which is kind of handy sometimes. Their performance is great. The speed and the uptime is seamless. It's, it's always up, it's always running. The control panel itself is very easy to use and they have various hosting plans and pricing, depending on what your requirements are. If you want to know more, just simply go to ferrarihub.com forward slash Bluehost. If you choose to use our link, we will receive a commission, but it's at no cost to yourself, and it all helps to keep the podcast and sites running. That's all for now. Ciao.